Hello, everybody. Crypto traders around the world. We're back with another episode of Crypto Talk Radio, found at CryptoTalkRadio.net, a.k.a. Basic Cryptonomics. Thank you for joining here today. My name is Leister. I'm your host. We've got a couple topics I want to go through. First, let's get the particulars out of the way, and then we'll jump right into this. Once again, that site is CryptoTalkRadio.net. That's where you're going to find all of our past, present, and future podcast episodes. The podcast is on all major podcasting platforms as well. Feel free to check that out. Let us know what you think. Link at the top says contact. Click that. Fill out the form. Come straight in. We read each and every one of those. We appreciate hearing feedback from our listeners, whether you're a subscriber or not. We would appreciate your subscription if you're a first-time listener. We again welcome you here. We think you're going to find it's completely different from any other crypto podcast that's out there. And hopefully you get great enrichment to the point that you feel like you want to spread the word out there. The last thing I'll call out is our triad membership. The triad is where we are trying to build a community of serious investors, not the kids that say the word Jeet and say the word Keck and can't half read. We're talking serious investors that believe there's something to this cryptocurrency thing and they want to talk to other grown adults, other serious people. Get away from the toxicity. Check it out on the site. Click on triad. It'll tell you about our different tiers for joining the full on triad. If you still have questions, you can join us in our discord channel. CryptoTalkRadio.net slash Discord will take you straight there. And anybody will be happy to answer any questions you may have. Given that, let's go ahead and jump right into our content for today's episode. Good morning and happy weekend, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. I have a few, and I stress a few, targeted topics to discuss this weekend. But before I get into my pitch for today... I want to share a story about crypto in general, because I think it's important that you understand my motivation for why I cover cryptocurrency, why I invest in cryptocurrency, why I believe in cryptocurrency, and why I want to succeed in spite of the United States government and their antics in the current administration. I had a challenging, very challenging period when I was working for other people, and this has continued for years. It was not a new development And I saw a pattern, or as Tim Bradley likes to say on the boxing side, a pattern of behavior coming from various employers that seemed to get progressively worse. But as I reflected, I realized that from the moment I first stepped into the workplace when I turned 18 years old, fresh out of high school, which was not by design, it was basically forced to do it. And I think back to the bosses that I've had from then all the way up, there was a consistent pattern to what happened, which was I get in and I've got energy and I've got drive and I've got passion and I know that there's nothing I can't do. Now, mind you, at the time, early, I'm 18, so you believe you're unstoppable. And I'm doing the work and it's easy work, but then I'm being hindered by other people's incompetence. People are getting in my way or they're lying to customers or they're doing something that then impacts me and makes me look bad. So I'm increasingly seeing this groove where my leader does not seem to understand that the issues that are happening are not because of anything I am or am not doing. It's because they are incompetent and then it affects me and then they blame me when really it's something that they did or didn't do. The very first boss that I ever had was basically we had a structure in ours where we would do these conferences And then they would collect up applications, paper applications from people who were interested in the product. And then my job was to data enter these into the core application and get them set up. And then we would bill them on the credit card. 
Well, the problem is that we were dependent on a database that depended on the local government agency, quote unquote, to provide the source information the way they built the web tool. It would not allow me to enter a new application if we didn't have that database. So frequently we would go out and do these presentations in cities and states where we hadn't even talked to the government agency. So there was a lot stacked up that could not be entered because I'm waiting on the database. My leader is questioning why is work backed up? We're getting people complaining and I'm telling her I cannot because the tool was built to stop me from doing it if we don't have the database. Okay, well then call the applicant and tell them that. Why aren't you guys telling them the truth about the fact that it's not available yet and not collecting application until you're ready? That was the back and forth, and it never really transpired in anything. So then I go to call center work, and I did call center for eight years. In the first call center job I ever had, which was working for high-speed internet before it was a thing. This is before what we know now and we take for granted. It was a new thing. It was exciting. It's cutting edge. It's innovative. It's frontline. We're now in this higher speed level of internet and I work customer service to help people get installed and troubleshooting that kind of thing. And I'm not going to bore you with the story on this one, but suffice it to say that I was, I did what I was told to do according to the employee handbook, but because of the way the office manager treated people, it was treated as me stepping outside of the bounds, even though it was part of the job. So then that one doesn't work. The other one that I worked, which was after this was for the telephone company, ironically still doing high speed internet, and I'm a top salesperson. I'm successful at what I'm doing. And I got set up because my supervisor was out of the office and a competing supervisor was jealous of my success and set me up to fail. That was a union job. The union threw me under the bus in that one, basically telling me you can go ahead and quit if you want or we'll fire you. With no evidence of me having done anything wrong, the union was in bed with the company. So I do more customer service ones and the only one by and large where I didn't have that kind of an interaction was a credit agency. And in the credit agency, again, it was a competing supervisor who was jealous of my success, who cuts me off at the knees. Now that didn't affect me as far as leaving the company, but it turned me off to the company, not treating me right. And they weren't going to pay me any more money anyway. So I chose to leave and then go to a loan company. I liked the customer service there, but yet again, a leader comes in. This is a new leader now and cheats me out of my ranking where I should have been. And when I try to tell them what the deal is, I get cut off at the knees. Then I go into the technology fields. And unfortunately, it was the same pattern kept happening where a leader of some kind gets in my way and I'm doing, I'm successful as I want to be and I'm proving myself to the company, but some leader comes in, doesn't know what they're doing, and then just derails me, essentially cuts me off at the knees and I have to go to another one. So then fast forward, I eventually get into local government not federal, local, which is completely different, but it has similar concepts in how you're treated. And as a local government, you are a taxpaying citizen working for an organization that's using taxpayer money. So ethically, you want them not to waste your money, yes? Nobody wants your taxpayer dollars wasted. I think that's a common theme. Well, I, a new leader comes in. We're, we're starting to organize. We're starting to get it clean. I'm making a name. I'm building a team. I've got success right there in my lap. This new leader comes in who doesn't know what the heck he's doing. And he starts making changes that are costing more money. Now it's burning my taxpayer dollars. And I ethically did not agree with this. And I left that organization as well. Now on the other side, I go to another company on my own choice. I wasn't fired and let go. I go on this other one 
it was promised the world. You're going to be able to come in. We like your skills. We want you to help us make this work. I come in for four months. I'm doing nothing but sitting in meetings, hearing them group think about doing stuff wrong, and they're not listening to me. I'm trying to tell them that what they're planning to do is going to fail, and you're going to have a hard time, and you're not going to be able to broaden this thing. Eventually, it turns into a, a PIP, and if you know what a PIP is, it's a performance improvement plan, simply because I'm not, quote, a team player, and I'm not fitting in. And I signed the thing, and then I immediately used their computer to write up a resignation letter for the same day and dropped it on the manager's desk who had disappeared because he was a coward. So when all this happens, I'm realizing, okay, every time it's leadership. Every time the leaders just don't understand. They don't want individual successes. They don't want individuals to be successful, and they don't want to use individual contributions to value their companies, which is boggling to me. So I start up my own business. That's not the podcast. It's a different business that's still active. And I go into consulting on a technology basis. Now I've got some control, but I'm still tethered by leaders at these companies who don't understand. You know, if you needed a plumber at your home, you're not going to tell your plumber, all right, Mr. Plumber, we need you to go to this HR unconscious bias training. Do, do, do. No, the plumber, you call the plumber and say, I got a leak in my house. I need you to give me a quote. The plumber's going to give a quote. You choose to pay it or not, and then you hire them. You might do a background check on them, but you're not going to drug screen them. You're not going to tell them to go to HR trainings. You're not going to tell them what time they have to show up. That, that, that's not the way it works. The contractor is in charge. That's why they're a contractor. And you, as a customer, choose to shop them around. In today's business-to-business society, the business wants to try to control it, and that doesn't work when you're a contractor. That's what then compelled me to start looking at crypto because I realized that, number one, I could not work for any other company until they were willing to agree to the way I need to do it, which is I'm an individual contributor. I have individual skills and talents that I will not allow you to compromise. You will not disrespect me, and you will let me succeed. And until I find a company that's willing to do it that way, I'm not willing to work for anybody else. Second, if I'm going to do contracting, which I don't mind doing, but it's the same thing. You don't run my price. You don't run my schedule. You don't tell me how to do my job. You come to me. I'll give you a quote, and you agree to pay it, and I'm not doing your stuff. So now this is so much of a paradigm shift, right? Because so many companies are against what I'm describing. They don't want to allow individual empowerment into cryptocurrency. I think I mentioned on an earlier episode, I was right at the center of Bitcoin in 2011, 2012, I had enough money where I could have invested in Bitcoin and have been a billionaire by now if I had done it. The reason I didn't do it is that at the time, it was still pretty much the Silk Road-ish method of handling. We didn't have the exchanges at an open and receptive level as we do today. It was still somewhat challenging to do it, and I was nervous of the risk if I were to get into something that was then treated by the U.S. government as illicit. However, there's always been that interest in the independence that it gives. And as I've gotten through the journey of learning about crypto and watching it evolve now, now that I'm back in it, I realize that the independence of it is the appeal. It's the drive that you can create your own future and vision around it. Even if you're in a country that normally does not have wealth or generate wealth, you have the opportunity, assuming they haven't banned it, like some have, to generate your own independent wealth but also not play by other people's rules. It's not necessarily that I'm against rules, but I want to make sure that any rules that I am subject to 
do not limit my ability to be independently successful and independently wealthy. And cryptocurrency and the podcast that covers cryptocurrency allows me to achieve both aims. It allows me to talk to you guys and tell you what I believe are cryptos that are worth your time, whether that's to avoid them or to potentially consider them, and to advocate for doing your own research, as well as using my audit background to try to evaluate tokens best I can. I'm not going to always get it right because there's a lot that they don't communicate well. As we do the migrations of different tokens and we change the tokenomics, I'm happy to do the assessment for my own investment as well. So now as I'm being independently benefited from it, I am sharing that knowledge to anybody who listens to the podcast, hoping that you will benefit on it as well, because I want you to have the same opportunity, whether it fully transpires is really up to your individual situation. But I want to at least give that information to where you can try to generate your own independence. The independence is what I was lacking. I'm not a rebel in the workplace by any means. I'm the, one of the hardest workers in any building. But at the same time, I will never allow somebody up above me who doesn't understand the work that I do to dictate to me. I don't work with dictators. If there was a company that came along later that said, look, Leister, name your price. We want you. We like your skills. We like your style. We like your independence. We like your strength. We like your communication. We love your podcast. Name your price. We want you. And if you have a price that's higher than what we have, we don't care. We're going to figure out how to find that money because that's how much we want you. And they want me to come in there and do for them what I'm doing for you guys, which is to inform, educate, improve, and ideally spread the word about how great X is, whatever the X is. I would love to do it. I would love to work for a company one day that treats me as an asset as opposed to as a number. There's a difference. Until that happens and unless it doesn't happen, I am going to continue doing what I'm doing on the crypto side and go all in. And when I say all in, that doesn't mean I'm YOLOing in money into any one project. I'm building the portfolio. I find new projects and I put a little bit of money into a lot and spread it out because collectively I know that it'll make me independently wealthy at some point in the future and I'm patient to wait for it. In the meantime, I'm holding fast to my guns and my standards by not allowing them to ruin it again. When there are good things happening, I'm going to make it clear up front. And I just did this recently when I was talking to a company. I'm clear up front. I am who I am. I am not going to change who I am for you or anybody else. I'm not going to tone down what I do. I'm not going to tiptoe around anything. I am about the work. You tell me what I need to do as far as the work and you give me a deadline. Don't tell me how to do it and don't get in my way. If leadership changes and we break what is a good thing and you see I'm successful and now you try to cut me off, I'll walk. And if you don't believe I'll walk, trust me, I have no problem resigning same day because we are an at-will employment country and I will take full advantage of it and I don't care what you think about it and I don't care what you think about my resume. Let me prove to you that I'm worth it. And if nobody's willing to bite, on those terms, I'll keep going on the crypto path until I'm independently wealthy and not worry about it. Because here's the thing. At some point in the future, I've got minimum five projects that I'm pretty darn sure are going to hit me six figures in minimum 2022, if not 2023. So the moment it hits six figures minimum across that many different projects, I'll never need to work again because of my cost of living today. I'll never need to work again but I'm just sitting on them. I don't need to worry about them. I don't need to cash them out. It's money that's not urgent money, and I've got other ways 
for bills to get paid that have covered it. And then I don't mind continuing to work for a company that's willing to take care of me, even if I were wealthy, because I like doing the work. It distracts me. It keeps me busy. That said, if it turned out that I created a true success story where I hit millionaire status, at that point, I'd probably go full in on the podcast and then retire early and then do more to try to help more of you get to that level like I am without the influencer bias that happens with people on YouTube. So I wanted to give you a sense of my vision and what brought me here. It is a general frustration with the way, and this is predominantly the United States, because we don't have this nonsense in other countries like we do here, where the employer can basically abuse you. Things like on-call rotation, where they can abuse you for 24 hours, wake you up at 2 a.m., and don't pay you any extra for it because you're considered, quote, exempt. Things where your boss can come in there and just completely disrespect you, and you can't do anything about it because they didn't break a law, but they can completely disrespect you. Salaries going down, they're not going up. Cost of living's going up, it's not going down. Inflation's at an all-time high. And the employers are removing things like pension plans, which are still available international, but not out here. If you're listening from international, that might shock you to hear this, but it's true. Pensions have largely gone the way of the dodo in the United States, except for certain large companies that nobody really wants to work for. The unions that are left are in bed with the employer. By and large, there are a few that are still actively for the employee, but most of those roles are the lower paid roles. They're not the higher paid roles. You're not going to have a six-figure salary protected by a union where you're not going to have that kind of abuse like for a developer and the on-call rotations, it doesn't exist anymore. Those are gone. The pensions are gone. 401k matching is a, is a waste because ultimately the 401k loses value as inflation goes up. So all of these things are designed to depress and keep down the opportunity to have generational wealth. And to me, generational wealth is your end game from a financial perspective, not from a life perspective, but from a financial perspective where you're at the point where you can start creating wealth that follows you after you're gone to those that are behind you, your children, your nieces, nephews, whoever, that you can create enough wealth that people after you are well taken care of without them having to struggle. Generational wealth to me is where we all should strive to get to, but there are so many factors trying to prevent you from doing that, starting with the employers because the employers are allowed to keep you down and hold you back. To me, I recognized this at an early enough age, but didn't do anything about it when I should have, which was 2011, 2012. That's when I should have just gone ahead and pulled the trigger and taken that high level of risk because if I had done so, it would have been a totally different scope for me. So now that I'm playing catch up, I'm still in a good spot, but now I'm having to rethink my terms and conditions so that I can do this podcast, share the information and learn along with you. And as I learn, settle on projects that I believe are going to make me independently wealthy at some point, true independent wealth, to the point that I won't ever have to work again. That's what I'm targeting. And along the way, I realize, okay, I just, I'm not built for the way current employers act and behave, and I'm not going to do it. That's, if you feel that same way, and you're getting to that point where you're tired of working for somebody else, or you just felt unappreciated in the workplace, you're not alone, is what I'm saying. And I wanted to make sure you understand that was also my motivation for getting into crypto was I was not going to allow anybody to disrespect me or devalue me because I understand my individual contributions are stronger than everybody in that place. And I am competitive to that degree. Employers today don't want competitive people. They want groupthink. They want the calm. They want the happy. They want the 
happy hour goers, the people who are who will drink and party with you, not people who are your hardest workers. To them, the hardest workers are threats. In crypto, the hardest workers are the ones who get rich. That's the mind shift. So hopefully that's been beneficial to help you understand me. I wanted to at least take one episode to just kind of wrap it up so people understand why I do what I'm doing, why I'm so energized about crypto, why I believe in crypto. Crypto at points has kept me fed. Crypto at points has kept me sane. And covering the podcast has helped me learn along with you. All of this is helpful. It's mentally healthy. So if you're new to the journey and you're still kind of wrapping your head around it, don't feel bad about it. I would challenge you to make sure you have your motivation in mind. Why are you doing this? Obviously, everybody wants to get rich, but what is the real reason that you chose to jump into this and and really go deep with it? Make sure you have your why because your why is the real source of power. Beyond that, just have fun with it. Understand you'll lose some money with it. Understand there's going to be ups and downs. Understand what a bear season really looks like and be patient, buy dips, do all the things you hear, but most importantly, do enough research before you buy in and don't invest more than you can afford to sell. At the core, make sure you understand why you're doing what you're doing. Have your true reason, whether that's generational wealth, whether it's just to stay busy because you're bored, whether it's because you're in a country that generally wealth is hard to come by and you want to change that for yourself, whether you have medical conditions for you or someone in your family, whatever your why is, use that as your power, use that as your strength and go for it with your journey and I will do my best to help you as many others will do. Okay, I'm finished with that. Hopefully that's been an inspirational at minimum and helpful at the, at the most. Let's get into some cryptos because I have one that I want to cover that I've talked about before. I have not done coverage on it because it's on the Ethereum blockchain and I am anti-Ethereum. However, I found a way to buy into it and then kind of sit on it and watch it. And I'm, I've been bullish on it before, but I've been anti-Ethereum was the problem. Now that I'm in it on an exchange, I'm going to watch it and I remain heavily bullish about it because I think they're good people, the team behind it. That's rare. And this one's called Shirio Inu. You may have heard me mention it if you've listened to older episodes. Shirio Inu is, uh, again, on the Ethereum blockchain and it's reasonably new. It's not terribly new, but it's reasonably new. Um, I believe they originated sometime in November. Is that about right? I believe it was early November. Early November, late October is when it originated. So it's one that has some of the same mechanics that you would expect from tokens today. And it has, as of the total supply, is what I'm referring to, uh, one quintillion tokens. So it doesn't have the super high um, quadrillion level of token, or excuse me, the sextillion level of tokens. And it's not as low as the, you know, trillions of tokens. And if you... I mentioned before that I think the perfect number of tokens is somewhere in the range of like 100 to 200 trillion for the purposes of price movement. So if the goal was to get the price to go up in a pretty reasonable amount of time, I always looked at kind of 100 to 200 trillion as like the sweet spot of that. And I wouldn't go too much higher than, you know, like one quadrillion ish. So this one having one quintillion means that it's going to have a harder road to get to any sort of profitability unless you were willing to invest. I'm going to say for something like this, minimum $1,000, possibly 10000 because as it drops zeros, you would get to like 100000 and then to a million pretty quick by just sitting on it for a few months. And it is very, 
I want to say I'm I'm personally bullish, but it's also very the trend line is pretty consistent in its ups and downs. So it's not constant growth, which as I said, you don't really want to see. You do want to see some some peaks and valleys, but it's consistent in how it does so. Now, because it has so many zeros, as I said, if you are a whale and you buy into something like this, you're going to bring that value right back down to where it was. That means that unless if you're able to put a pretty good amount of money in it, you're not your long haul to make any kind of money on it. Doesn't mean you won't, but it's extreme long haul. There are a lot of eyes on this token, primarily because of the tokenomics around it, but also its association to NFTs and it's kind of playing in on the NFT and some of the NFT cards that they've got out there are really visually uh, friendly. Um, they remind you of like the old Dungeons and Dragons and that kind of stuff. And I think they've got a they've got a good roadmap for what they're trying to do. And I don't know what the plan big picture as far as to create um, like some games or that kind of thing. I don't see anything that tells me exactly what they're going to do around that. But there's a lot of different um, elements to the cards that are just intriguing for those that come from the older school with games, the card-based games, right? That's kind of where their pitch is. Rather than just straight collectibles, they're collectibles, but the, the, the mission looks like it's more about gaming around good design cards. And I think that that's going to be appealing as NFT starts to really take off over the long term. And there's sets of these. So there's packs of cards, which creates collectability. So you might have, you know, trading that happens among different card players and you can digitize that whole structure, which is still popular, especially overseas. It's less so in the United States. There are still people that play like Dungeons and Dragons and other board games, Shadowrun and others. But I think internationally, this is a lot more appealing to people. So there's, uh, I think, international interest coming. But also the tokenomics, the core tokenomics of the token are appealing to people in what they're trying to do for all the investors and the project overall. Anybody that's heard me cover Koromaru, I covered that on a previous episode, and I criticized Koromaru for their distribution of rewards because I think it should be fair for who all receives what reward. In Shirio, it's what I wanted to see. Shirio Inu does a distribution of 3% to everybody who holds the token, 4% for the marketing wallet, 4% for development. So it's, it's fair. It's even across. There's a massive liquidity pool, which should negate any loss of liquidity, and it, I believe to be locked. And then there are taxes on buys and sells. I'm not a fan of the tax on the buy, but I understand why, because when you are trying to entice or incentivize people, the rewards, if you're only doing high tax on sales, it means that the only time that you're really getting any significant distribution is when people sell out, which makes it deflationary by nation. But if you do it on buys and sells, it means that everybody essentially benefits except those that completely sell out of the token. Now, the flip of this, of course, is that if you sell, let's say 90% of your bag, you're getting rewarded for selling 90% of your bag because you might be charged a fee, but you're still going to get rewards on the stuff that you left over. So that means it's not full deflationary. It's deflationary by way of the way it works, but it's not full deflationary in the fact that you're still rewarding people that don't sell out. That's the downside of only incentivizing the ones that, that stay when other people sell and you're charging it on both sides. It seems a small thing, but when you think about it, if I only charge it on a sell, then anybody who sells, right, they're going to get 
a small pittance, but they're going to get charged the fee, which offsets the pittance that they would get. And they're not going to get rewarded for people who bought in. So the people who support in are not enriching people who sell out. If that makes any sense, because you don't want to necessarily reward people who would hurt the token. I say that, but I also want to make sure I'm clear to everybody listening. If you feel like selling makes sense for you for a given reason, whether that's to take profit, whether that's an emergency, whatever, feel free to and be okay with it. I'm not telling you not to sell. I'm saying that if you create a mechanic that is going to tax people, normally it's only on the sell behavior, not the buy behavior, because you don't want to discourage buying. Now, you can avoid some of that by buying through an exchange. I bought mine through LBank. Um, because that seemed like the most accessible way to do it. However, they're also on BitMart. I'm not a fan of BitMart because they have a minimum $5 transaction uh, stupidity from like the 90s. You can also buy it on BKEX, or if you want, you can get it straight from Uniswap because it is on the the Ethereum side. I would, I would stand by LBank to me as the most friendly way to buy into the token if you are interested in the token. Talking about price moves for the token... I mentioned that it goes pretty consistently up and down because of the inventory though. It has gone significantly high from its all time high. Looks like the launch date was November 4th. This is right around the time as other tokens like Santa coin, which was, which is horribly mismanaged. I covered that yesterday, but it has had a significant jump since then. And as with many other tokens has not even come close to getting back to its previous all time high. Its previous all-time high, it was able to drop a significant number of zeros down to nine zeros. And just for comparison, Satama is currently at seven zeros. I believe SHIB is sitting at four. So it was, I think, like 12 zeros deep, and then it was able to go down to nine zeros. And I think now it's sitting at about 10 or 11 zeros. I believe it's 11 zeros. Now, let's see. Let's check it. 10 zeros. So 10 zeros. Because it's 10 zeros with a one quintillion inventory, I can see this one based on its current velocity of growth getting to the point of dropping minimum three zeros in 2022. Of course, we have to get past bear season. The trading volume is in the millions, which is really high because even just on L Bank, it's low. That means that there's not a lot of awareness about it yet. And they're doing a very strong, aggressive push on the marketing side for the not just the token, but also the ecosystem and the NFTs. And the again, the artwork I think is amazing. So I believe this one has can easily drop three three zeros by the time uh, 2022 starts to get kind of hot and heavy. It's like mid 2022. Now I will call out the one thing I don't see. It may be there. I'm saying I don't see it. If it is there, and the team wants to reach out, I will at them on social media. And if they want to speak on it, I am always welcoming of any of the token developers or spokesperson to come and talk to me about what they're doing because I want to give them the chance to and the platform to communicate what it is that they're doing. Two things that I do notice I want to call out. Um, it is audited, uh, has done a CERTIC audit. Looks like that was in November. That was completed. Well, this is credibility in of itself, but the interesting thing is that if this launched November 4th, the audit was completed November 12th. That's pretty darn fast. Uh, I don't I can't recall any other project that's been able to complete audit that fast. When I looked at the audit report, I didn't see anything that stood out as worrying per se. The, and it looks like they didn't either. They have their, what they call 
major and they're the same things as every other ones as far as centralization. So this is central privilege. This is single point of failure. This is something that's built where one person drops and it takes the token or hacking um, that yes, there are problems and they, they fix both of those, but the, the return back, the speed of the return back was fast. I was shocked at how quickly they got the response on the audit, which tells me that there was a confidence from the CERTIC team and clean code that was easy to understand, easy to interpret, and they returned back responses on it um, pretty fast. Everything else was kind of informational in nature, and they chose not to do anything about it. Things that would kind of improve performance or minimize gas fees, they chose not to do anything about those. I understand why they didn't, because they're informational, and it wouldn't necessarily affect any investor, per se, directly over just, you know, because you could always go through an exchange if you were concerned about any of that kind of stuff. But then I looked at the their white paper, and I've called out before that I honestly believe Dogezilla has one of the best white papers I've ever seen of any token. Dogezilla's white paper tells you a lot about their motivations, tells you a lot about why they're doing it, and tells you what they're going to do about what they saw. Shirio's white paper takes Doge's those Zillas to the next level. And I have a new favorite in what they're doing in the white paper. And it's almost like they saw my rubric at one point. So Shirio's white paper tells you about the people. That's good. So Doc's team, you know who they are. There is a burn that's in the white paper. If I had to give any feedback, it's currently a manual burn. And the way it works is that NFTs as they're sold are used to buy and burn Shirio. So that means that there's a direct connect between the NFT strategy I talked about that I think will take off and the burn mechanic for the token. It's not an automatic burn. The only concern I would have there is if you're not doing an automatic burn and it's always manual, if you have team issues, team disruptions, people are out like with the Shiba swap, it's one guy who presses a button to issue the Ryoshi rewards and that person has a family emergency and the rewards are delayed that I think they need to fix the manual. My concern is that because it's already a built contract, they'd have to do a migration to do that, and I wouldn't want them to do a migration. I, I really don't like that it's a manual burn. I understand why it's a manual burn, but if there's any way to automate that to where it's not a manual burn, so we don't have to do that, I think that'd be ideal. But they've already done pretty significant burns of tokens thus far. Now, there's a lot of tokens, so when I say significant, we have to put that in perspective because there's a lot when you have one quintillion going. They talk, they talk about the different concept arts for the NFTs, so definitely take a look at the art because I think when you see it and you see what they're doing with the NFTs, you'll see that there's probably money that you're sitting on here on this guy and the game that they're going to be designing for this thing. I think it has potential to be huge, especially internationally. So then the tokenomics are broken out very well. The logic of the game is broken out very well. Anybody who reads this white paper should have a really strong confidence. These guys have something big on the books and they've done a lot of thought and a lot of planning on how this works and how they want this to be introduced to everybody. Um, most of these are in timeline 2022. So if you were to invest now, you might be, and I'm stressing might be on the verge of the next Satama in the sense that if you invest now and you're able to get into the billions or even ideally trillions of tokens now, so say you invest $10 or something and let it sit there. Cause I think $10 right now would get you shortly over a hundred billion or so. Or if you chose to do high, as long as it's like throwaway money, 
I wouldn't go full in until they had a chance to start doing some things because we have to see actual tangible outcomes. That it's Certic reviewed is good, certainly. And what I see, it's solid. What I'm saying is I would never, like with Santa, there was a dude that invested $50,000 when they had nothing to show for it. Like it doesn't make any sense to throw that much money unless it's really throwaway money. And if you got 50000 throwaway money, why are you investing in something like Santa coin instead of Bitcoin? So that's Shurio Inu. I am bullish on it and have been bullish on it for since its launch. I thought it was a well-designed project with a pretty darn good team and pretty solid community. Again, that's on the Ethereum chain. So you either go to Uniswap to do it or you can buy it from BitMart or BKEX or LBank if you want to buy it. But I would suggest you take a look at it especially on CoinMarketCap, get familiar with it, go to their website, get familiar with what they're doing, go to their different uh, portals for community and just be aware of their messaging and make sure you're kosher with it. And if it makes sense, buy in. Um, I do think it's a solid project, honestly. Shirio Inu, I think it's one of those breakout stars. That's why I wanted to make sure I covered it in at least one of these episodes because I'm heavily bullish on this one myself. And then I want to wrap up today's update and talk about Bitcoin. You may or may not, because if you're not living on social media, most adults don't live on social media, but if you're not living on social media, there's some musings running around social media about Bitcoin possibly being insolvent, meaning that there's a risk that Bitcoin's value could tank because some people did some research and they found one or two wallets that are holding a significant portion of the Bitcoin inventory. And the fear, of course, is that if those whales were to sell out, it would tank the value of the token. Yes, that's a strong risk. That risk, I would argue, two points on it. Number one, I would argue that specific primarily, not solely, but primarily to Bitcoin, because we should know by now that there are a lot of hedge funds that would have bought Bitcoin to hold that, hold that profit. But hedge funds, hedge funds have been under attack by the United States government because they've wanted them to start detailing more about some of the shorts that are happening at the exchanges. So when the hedge fund basically borrows money and then they go off and do other stuff and they tank values of things, the government has wanted more visibility to what's going on with this because they believe it's a risk to traders. When the hedge funds see that this regulation is coming down, many of these sketchy ones will just shut down. Well, if you shut down and you leave a debt, most of them would just file bankruptcy and debt goes away magically, right? So if you have a hedge fund or two or three who hold big bags of Bitcoin and in order to resolve debts, they sell these bags off, yes, you could theoretically tank Bitcoin. I said in one of my early episodes that I believe that Bitcoin is one of those bubbles that will break at some point, but I don't believe it's going to go significantly down because there's enough visibility in Bitcoin and enough countries that are starting to embrace it that if it does experience a significant dip, I think it'll rebound back up again. I see it hitting possible six figures at some point in the future undetermined. But if there's a major sell-off, I want to implore you that that to me is one of the best dips you can buy into, even if it's only for a small amount of money. Because I do see it's going to rebound again. I think Bitcoin is one of the most stable out there as far as, you know, value. But it is at risk right now of that heavy sell-off. It's always going to be because those hedge funds are always going to be involved. And those are almost always whales. This is my reading of what's happening. 
I don't think that's a short-term thing. I believe that's one of those long-term, hey, in 2022, we're going to see some dips as people sell off. I think it'll recover at some point past it. If it's part of your portfolio, but you haven't invested a lot of money in it, just understand that it's going to be volatile potentially in the near future. That's why I keep saying have a diverse portfolio. Don't just YOLO into one thing because you can't gauge whether something's going to succeed or fail. Even in the best of intentions, there's just so much happening and so many people behind the scenes that can completely destroy singular investments. You want diversity in your portfolio. You want to make sure you've got 5, 10, 15, 20 different projects all going, not just any one project that you YOLO into because you're going to create a risk of significant loss, and I don't want to see that. So that's my update for today. Hopefully that's been beneficial and helpful. I'm going to post this here in a moment. And then on the side note, um, again, I will have another update tomorrow. I doubt I'll have an afternoon update today, but I will have an update tomorrow for sure. And then again, Monday and Tuesday, I'm going to be having the guest on Tuesday, but Monday will be a little bit delayed just because of my personal deals. But I will have more information, certainly about other tokens. I'm doing more research on them before I commit and updates. I want to be fair to them. And then based on the guest, if I can get that to happen, that's a revisit of a past token that I've talked about before. So I will supplement that episode with a revisit of the token and where it's going because they're going to be doing a migration. And I want to make sure I'm fair and reevaluating the migrated token as fresh new. And then also as a close, EarnHub is going. There are still bugs with Anyflect, but it is working and people are being enriched and creating passive Income. So if you're interested in passive income, please do take a look at EarnHub. And if you like the tokenomics and you appreciate what they're doing, it's something to consider as part of your portfolio. Take care. That'll do it for today's Crypto Talk Radio episode. I want to thank you for listening today. We know you've got choices. CryptoTalkRadio.net, if you would, we would appreciate. At the very top, we have a contact form. Fill that out. Let us know what your thoughts are. If we're doing great or something you don't like, we always love to hear from our listeners. If you don't mind spreading the word, we would also appreciate that. If you think other people would benefit from the type of coverage that we do, we work hard to try to be different than every other type of podcaster or YouTuber that's out there. So hopefully we're on track with that. Finally, our YouTube channel, of course, is that Basic Cryptonomics. If you want to find us on there. Those are dedicated, specific, exclusive types of episodes, so you'll hear things there that you won't hear on the podcast and vice versa. Check us out there for more quick and dirty coverages. Until next time, take care.